0: for this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith. That is in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the reading of the word. You may be seated.
1: Some texts are intimidating because they're um, a little hard to understand or um, explain. Some are hard because the truths are um, very direct and confrontational. This text is hard because it's about me. (laughs) Um, And uh, it's funny because as we talk about elders and deacons today, um, it's easy for me to stand and talk about this and think about Bob and Don. It's easy to think about... Will and Steve, not so much to think about me, and I'm not saying that Poor Jason, I just this is just tough, um, because it's uh, it's convicting and overwhelming at times. But here we go, right? Um, <laughs> sometimes I, I watch my kids, listen to my kids observe my kids, and I think, why in the world are you like you are? And then I realize it's because of me, it's because of my wife, right? You know, they are, I've I've said on on a few occasions, and I think I've even said it to them. If not, oh well, here we go. Um, Some of the things that get on my nerves about my kids the most are the things that are most like me. And that's the truth. I'm like, why are you doing that? Oh, because you've seen me do that, you've heard me do that. I am the pattern that you are following Well today, we're going to see through this passage, I hope, why we are like we are. Why we are like we are as elders, why we are like we are as deacons, why we are set up the way we are set up as a church, and maybe even why you are like you are in your individual walk. And just so you know, today, we're not going to get into this so much, but I think it has to be said That When when you see this passage today, it is a prescription for the structure of the church. And most of us, including me, have grown up in settings that were nothing like this. We didn't grow up in an elder-led church. We didn't grow up where there were elders and deacons. So many of us, I grew up in a church that was one person doing everything. And he was the pastor. And the pastor did what the pastor did because he's the pastor. And that, that's how I grew up. Or some of y'all might have grew up in a church where there was a pastor and a board of deacons. And they were like mortal enemies, right? It was like a power struggle between the pastor and the board of deacons. I've been to so many church conferences and meetings and pastor's meetings where the pastor that's there is talking about how he's have, he has to fight his deacon board for everything. And there's usually that one deacon that just hates him anyway. And then they just, they, it's like blood shed mortal enemies. And praise God, we're not better than anybody else here. But I praise God and I thank God that we are in a setting where I believe we are as biblical in our leadership structure as we can be. And so again, we're not really going to get into that. I just wanted to say that up front. We are in a church structure where we are elder-led and we have deacons. And that's the leadership structure that we see in the scriptures. And today we're going to explore not so much the roles of the elders and deacons, and as Will just read, you see more the qualifications, what these men are supposed to look like, and you'll notice there were ladies mentioned as well. We'll get to that. So... As we come to chapter 3, we're going to address Paul's musts, M-U-S-T-S, which is not a real word, because I don't think a must is a plural, but Paul's musts for those who would be elders and those who would be deacons in the church. And we'll see some more of this later in 1 Timothy, and we'll address some of it again when we get to Titus, uh, several weeks up the road. And it would be okay, I think, to pull all of those passages together, but that's not our strategy. Okay, We're working through the letters one at a time, and we want to maintain the flow of Paul's thoughts here to Timothy. Timothy, who is in Ephesus, and he's stationed there, and Paul's like, I want you to set things right there. Because there's some things that have gotten off track. So we'll stick primarily to what Paul's talking about here. And this conversation snippet that we're covering, 13 verses, is about qualifications primarily. And we will discuss roles at the end that always scares the snot out of me when that door slams over. Uh, I'm okay. We will talk about roles a little bit near the end. But our main focus will be what those who occupy the offices of elders and deacons what these people look and live like. And then as we progress through these letters, remember the main theme of the pastoral epistles, and I probably should be saying this every week even though I haven't, is based around 1 Timothy 3.15. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar of and buttress of the truth. So again, we're talking about what the church looks like, how the church should be structured, what these people should look like who make up this governing body. And so we'll dive in here with that in mind, how do we conduct ourselves? And today we're going to see how elders or overseers and deacons should conduct themselves. So, first one. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. I don't know how far back you remember, but a few weeks ago we talked about these trustworthy statements that are found in the pastoral epistles. Uh, we saw in 1 Timothy one fifteen, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. And we said then that those tr- this is a trustworthy statement, worthy of full acceptance. Those were... Little snippets, almost like catechism-type things that pointed out an important doctrine that was important for the people to know, understand, and live out. So this trust, this saying is trustworthy was a way for them to call their attention to something that you need to know, which is a basic foundation, a basic building block of what they should believe as Christians. And those snippets would begin with the statement being trustworthy or worthy of acceptance. Well, here... What is the statement that was taught as important or vital? And keep that in mind. What is the statement that is important or vital to the faith of these early believers? And by association, us. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now before we look at the specific words here, let's see the big picture of that statement. Now, a basic building block of the Christian faith is that there is an office of overseer in the church and that it was a noble task to pursue. So this points to the universality of elders in the church. The word here could be overseer, elder, bishop, or pastor. Those four words are interchangeable. They can be used to describe the same person, the same office. Okay, overseer, Pastor, elder, bishop. And if you want to call me Bishop Jason, I'm fine with that, just so you know. Okay? It's my favorite one out of the four. And we never use it, so what's a runner with this? And if you say bishop and I don't turn around, it's because I'm I'm dull. Okay, I'm a what? Oh, you're talking to me. So anyway. So it points to the universality of elders in the church. We've said that Paul's pattern was to blow into a town, preach the gospel, people would believe, a church would be formed from those new believers, and Paul would either leave and then come back and appoint elders, or sometimes he would just appoint elders before he left. But for this discussion, it's important to see that elders were appointed in every church. There cannot, you do not see in the New Testament, a church without elders, overseers, bishops, pastors. So we see this in Acts 14. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So where there is a church... There are necessarily elders. And I am pointing that out with emphasis, with the right emphasis on the right syllable, so that you understand this is not an option. There's a trustworthy statement where there is a church, there are necessarily overseers or elders. And Paul's word here in 1 Timothy 3 1 is translated as overseer in the ESV. The Greek word is episcope, and it means overseer, synonyms being the same as presbyter. I guess you could call me presbyter if you want to. I I, I probably won't answer that. Don and Bob might, but I'm not going to. Presbyter, elder, bishop, and at times the word pastor as well. It's an office in the church, and from this verse in 1 Timothy and others that we'll see today, it is for males. The word for anyone here in 1 Timothy 3, 1, is the masculine form of the word anyone. And every time he's mentioning these people in this passage, he's saying he. Okay? We talked last time, uh, was it last time? Yeah, about women's roles and um, not mentioned in that passage was the fact that they are could be called to be elders. And we see here, elders are always referred to as he. And this task and position of elder is something, Paul says, that is to be aspired to. If a man wants to, desires to, aspires to be an elder, Paul says that man rightly desires a noble task. Now, not everyone is going to aspire to it. But some will, and it seems to me that this is what we call maybe a calling. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where someone who preaches has a dramatic call to preach or an event happens to verify that calling. And that might be a little bit controversial. It might not be to you. Or more often than not, in today's church, if we hear someone speaking, it's good. We naturally assume that person's called to preach. But if there is a desire in a man, Paul says then he should pursue it, and it's noble. And that word noble means honorable, praiseworthy. And instead of a calling or a gifting, Paul will now lay out the credentials of an overseer, elder, bishop, presbyter, pastor, and it has nothing to do with gifting or calling, but rather it's about character. Alistair Begg says it's about service, not status, with character a greater emphasis than upon gifting. He also says the most important contribution the elders make are in the realm of their personal holiness. As are the elders, Begg says, so are the people. That's what's convicted. And what a list of things that are required for this overseer. Besides aspiring or desiring, there are 14 things that qualify these elders. And we're going to read them all together, then we'll go back and kind of touch on them. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now, I don't know how overwhelming that is to you, but gracious goodness. Some of this I'm like, oh, no problem there, no problem there. Then I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh. And let me say it off the bat, and I'll probably say it again. I'm sure I will. This is not a call to perfection. Elders and deacons will fall short. They will sin. And we can't take these statements as just without any room for error. But they are characteristics. They are qualifications that if not kept consistently would disqualify a man from being an elder. Okay? So the first one, just right off the bat, goodness gracious, why don't you just close the door up front, Paul? Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. And this is really the main idea. And the rest of these things are going to kind of show um, what that means specifically. But above reproach. And again, not perfection, but not lacking in upstanding also not above correction, okay? If we do stumble, and we do, we need to be confronted. We need to be. It needs to be brought to our attention how we are falling short. And the above reproach, I think, is us not saying, well, I didn't do that. But it's like, oh, I'm hearing, I'm listening, I understand what you're saying. Let me try to correct that or let me explain to you why, okay? Above reproach is not never sins, never falls into temptation. Um, I told... Don and Bob, I think, Friday morning, Alistair Begg's message, he, he, he got a letter from somebody because in one service he had told a story about how he got a speeding ticket. And during the course of getting the speeding ticket, he went the wrong way down a one-way road, which also uh, increased the ticket. And so he said, I tried to reroute traffic, and they wouldn't follow me. But... And people laughed. And so Begg got this letter that said, you're a lousy pastor because pastors don't exceed the speed limit. And when they tell the story, people don't laugh about it, and they don't lead people in laughter about how they sin. Okay? If that's your picture of an elder, sorry. Now, I usually don't exceed the speed limit much. Okay? But we're men. We have feet of clay. We fail, and this call to be above reproach is not a call to perfection. One day we will be perfect, but it's not on this side of heaven. It's on the other side. But this is the main idea. To be above reproach, not lacking in upstandingness, also not above correction. Now the next one, this one's not too hard for me, thank you very much. The husband of one wife. Now why would Paul say that? Why would that be a qualification for an elder? Well, because again, you're talking to a group of people specifically here in Ephesus who might have been all about polygamy, who might have had more than one wife. And if they had more than one wife, guess what? They couldn't be an overseer. They couldn't be an elder because that's not God's design. Again, not a problem for me. I'm very happy with the one woman that I have. Um, and I, I, why people would want to have more than one wife, I, I, I don't understand. Um, anyway, now this, this also does not mean that he has to be married. Okay, We can't make it wooden and say, well, then, then an elder has to be married. No, it doesn't say that. But it's saying if he is married, he's married to one woman. Can a remarried man be an elder? Well, that's up for debate. And again, thankfully, praise God, we don't have to address that here right now. Uh, If somebody's wife has uh, passed away and they're remarried, being the husband of one wife does not mean they've only had one wife. Divorced and remarried, again, there's a whole lot of situations that we can ask questions about. And Paul doesn't really answer them here. And he's not trying to be, again, plastic, unshapable. He's just saying, here's the idea. This man should be a one-woman man. That's the point here. okay? Purity in devotion to one wife. That's what that means, the husband of one wife. The next one. He must be uh, sober-minded. That means temperate, clear-headed especially in turmoil or problems. So this is the guy as the bullets are flying, is not going, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, what are we going to do? He's saying, this is what we're going to do. Okay, that's sober-minded. Self-controlled. Self-control is part of the fruit of the Spirit we see in Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. If he can't control himself, what in the world is he going to do if he's going to try to help or control somebody else? He's got to be self-controlled. That's a tough one for me. Okay, just to be honest, what's it mean to be self-controlled when there's donuts in front of you? And, and we laugh about that, but seriously, can I tell myself no? Can I control my urges, especially those of my taste buds, my stomach, my sex drive? If I can't control myself, I don't need to be trying to help other people control themselves either. Same with Don and Bob. And again, You're going to hear people's names this morning because we're talking about people. We're talking about, right now we're talking about the elders, the overseers of this church as well. Um, Respectable. That's questionable, right? Um, Do people respect this person? They need to be people not just who are respected but they need, they need to be respectable. They need to handle themselves, hold themselves, conduct themselves in such a way that they garner and almost command respect. And I, I kind of laugh. I'm like, I'm, I, I know me, right? I know I'm, I'm silly sometimes. I'm, I, and it's not about respect more times than not. But are we respectable? An elder and overseer is to be respectable. He is to command not demand, but command the respect of the people around him. And the respect is to look up to. And we'll talk more about that later. Hospitable. That doesn't mean he visits the hospital. That's not what it means, okay? Even though that's kind of what pastors do, right? I was in the hospital and the pastor never came and seen me there, okay? We're not talking about going to the hospital. Hospitable, I love, I love this. Mixing and mingling, Not separated or aloof. His environment proves his character. So wherever he is at, whoever he is with, he's with them. And he's good at being with them. He's not rolling his eyes and turning his head when they talk. He's not saying, hey, look, you got to understand, I really shouldn't be in this company. He's comfortable in whatever company that he's in, and he's able to be hospitable to the people that he's around look around here, people. We're all different, right? And I'm not saying that this guy should be a chameleon and blend in everywhere he goes, but he should be able to relate to just about anybody, even people that he don't understand what they're going through, what they're working with. He's hospitable. He entertains who they are and what they're going through. And I think that does mean as well that we're we're mixing and mingling in small groups, in in sit-down dinners, having in our homes and you guys having us in your homes and that we're able to do that well. Because some people aren't that way. Some people just don't want to be around people. If you don't want to be around people, you don't need to be an overseer. Okay? That's something else. Able to teach. Now watch this. That thought pattern is not about... Notice it doesn't say, is a preacher. He's able to teach. That means he's able to instruct and refute using what as his guide? The Scripture. okay? He's able to take the Word of God and instruct or refute something that somebody is saying or doing. I'm able to take the Bible... Say it, remember it, open it up, read it, whatever, and say, let me tell you why, yes or no. He's able to teach people, according to the Word of God, how they should be, what they should be doing. Now, real quick, um, look at this. This is later in 1 Timothy. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Why do I bring that up? Because this implies that not all elders are preaching or even speaking elders. Able to teach means instruct from God's word, and that focus on the word leads the elders to be in agreement about what they teach when they're talking to people. There are elders who are who will labor in preaching and teaching. And there are elders who won't labor in preaching and teaching. That's a thing. It's a possibility to be an elder and never preach because there are those who especially labor in preaching and teaching, which means there are those who also don't, okay? And I don't think that disqualifies anybody who is an elder from preaching or teaching, but it does show there is a difference. When we say able to teach, it does not mean they're preachers. And I think I've always kind of assumed that that's, that's there. Elders don't have to be preachers, but they do have to be able to teach. And there's a difference there. And since they're teaching from the same pool from God's Word, that focus on the Word leads the elders to be in agreement about what they teach. So if you come and ask me a question biblically, and you go and ask Bob a question biblically, and then go ask Don that same question biblically, we should answer it pretty much the same. Because we're teaching from the same context. We're teaching from the same book. And if Bob ever said, "Well, I know Jason said that up there, but that's that's not right," we got problems. Or if Don says something, y'all come to me. Don said this. I'm like, "Well, that, that no, Don Don's not right." The point of being able to teach is that we handle the word and administer it the same way, okay? And I think that's really important. Now, does that mean we agree about everything? Ha! Huh, no. They're like, I don't agree with that Joker most of the time, okay? <laughs> No, we, we, we really do have a great sense of agreement between us, which is a blessing. Um, but there's things we still debate, things we try to parse out and figure out. And that will always be so. But generally, you ask me something, you're going to get the same answer from Bob and Don and vice versa and vice versa. Okay? Able to teach. That's what we do. Uh, the next one is... Nope, oh, I jumped ahead too far. Um, not a drunkard. Again, not for me. Um, I won't speak for the other guys, but um, I know they're not drunkards. I know that for sure. Does that mean that they can't drink alcohol? No, that's not what it means. Um, I can count on two hands how many times I've drank alcohol in my life. I can count on one hand I was, how many times I was intoxicated, and it's been a long time since I've had any alcohol. Well, that's not true. My wife and I had a glass of champagne on our 25th anniversary. And it was awful. I'm like, this is terrible. I'm like, this is bad. I don't want this. Okay. Huh? The champagne. Yeah. <laughs> the anniversary was wonderful. The champagne was. I just don't like it, y'all. I mean, that's, that's my thing. Um, but this does not disqualify an overseer from drinking alcohol. But if they drink to excess and are a drunkard, then that does disqualify them. Okay. Again, I know so many of us grew up in churches where if you drank alcohol, oh my goodness, you know, you're not even saved, much less could you be an overseer? Uh, the Bible is not anti-alcohol. The anti, the Bible is anti-drunkenness. Okay? And if you invite me over to your house and offer me an adult beverage, I will deny. Why? Because I don't like the taste of it. Okay? And feel free to imbibe while I'm there. But don't get drunk or I'm going to punch you in the mouth. No. I jest a little, okay? Not a drunkard. If somebody is a known drunkard, they don't need to be overseeing God's church, period. That, that's what Paul said here. And again, these people would have been in a culture that is immersed in alcohol. And unfortunately, so are we. Um, so be careful there. Not a drunkard. This next one. Not violent, but gentle. Um, I could tell y'all about all the bar fights me and Bob and Don have been in together. <laughs> this is a long conversation, but that that's not what this is talking about, okay? There is a call for elders to be polemical at times. And when, I'm, when I say polemic, I mean warlike, fighting a, a good fight against a false doctrine or uh, arguing, and there's nothing wrong with the word argue, arguing to make sure a point is clear and that there's understanding, and refuting something that's wrong. There is a call to that. But the general nature of these men, their general nature is gentle and lowly, like their Lord, right? You know, it's not that they're like, man, all these guys do is disagree and fight and argue on the Internet. And, man, they've had some of the best fights on Facebook that you've ever seen. That's not who these guys are. Shouldn't be who these guys can't be who these guys are. And, again, if all they ever do is fight and fuss and tell everybody why they're wrong and stupid and believe the wrong things politically and biblically, that's not our guy. It's not what we're called to. Not violent, but gentle. There is a call to polemics, but the general nature is gentle and lowly. Not violent, but gentle. If an overseer, if, if one of us today is not gentle in how we deal with you, and again, there is a call to speak truth, but that truth is to be spoken in love. I don't want your blunt force truth, and you shouldn't want it from me. Speak kindly to one another, and you should see that example in us as elders and overseers. Now, And that ties into the next one, which is not quarrelsome. Now, note this. This is the second time this has come up already in 1 Timothy. In 2.8, when he was commanding men to pray, he said, Without quarreling. That was one of the things. And I think, oh, I hate to say this, but I'm afraid it's true. I believe the view of the world toward the church today is that all they want to do is argue and fight. All they want to do is quarrel. Nobody says that word anymore. And that's not who we are supposed to be. And if that's who you see your leaders as being, if that's who you see your overseers as being, something is wrong. And we're going to see it again later in in 1 Timothy and in Titus. If we're known for our quarreling and our ability to quarrel, again, not argue. Arguing is right. Arguing is me proving a point, speaking the truth in love. But if all we do is pick and quarrel and roll our eyes and talk about how stupid people are, there's something wrong. And Paul is making this point and belaboring this point. Elders, overseers are not to be quarrelsome. Remember, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome. And I'll stop saying quarrel now. Quarrel. And then finally, well not finally, we're not done. This is 11 out of 14. Not a lover of money. That's a tough one, y'all. I'm just being honest with you. One of the things that that chases my heart all the time and that my heart chases is I want to be comfortable financially. And it's a battle. And that is... Very, very, very much like loving money. And where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. And vice versa, I believe. The point here is that this guy's not known about his pursuit of more, 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 more. more, And I do have to check myself. I do have to fight the urge to get more. And and what's the old statement? They asked Rockefeller how much was enough, and he said a little bit more, a little bit more. And that should not mark the leaders of the church of Jesus Christ. Not a lover of money. And hopefully, I, don't, I hope you guys don't see the three of us as lovers of money. And I hope that we're fighting that good fight in our own hearts. <clears throat> Verse 4, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? That's pretty much self-explanatory. Again, what are the extents of that? Does that mean that their children can never mess up? Oh, for Pete's sake, give me a break. That's why preacher's kids hate church. Because that's the expectation. they got to be perfect, just like their dad in Helen has to be perfect. Anyway... He must manage his own household well. That's a general enough statement to be taken generally. Okay? How are the households that your elders and overseers, how do they look? Are they managed well? Is there chaos and disorder? Are you looking and saying, "Great day in the morning. Our pastors a mess and look at his house. Those people are nuts." He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. And again, we hate this word submissive, and we should love it. Submissive means I know who's in authority, and I agree with them, and put myself under their watch care and their direction. And I hope that my kids see that as beautiful. I hope they're not going, oh, to dad again. Um, preacher boy, you know, I do see that in my kids. I mean, we have some disagreements, but you can disagree and still be submissive. You know that? It's possible. Kids can disagree with their parents and still be submissive. And the point here is, for if somebody doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? If I can't manage the five other people in my house, how could I hope to help you guys? And same for Don and Bob. Again, what would disqualify somebody there? I think it would be obvious. I don't think we'd have to split hairs and parse words and say, "Does this qualify as him not managing his own household well?" I don't think we're going, "Hmm, maybe let's think about it." Well, if you put it's like, "Oh my goodness. You're not managing your own household well, brother. It's time for you to step back and be done because this is not the right role for you." Again, don't be so hardcore that it's got to be perfect and you can bounce quarters off their beds in the morning. That's not what it's talking about. Has to manage his own household well. Um, that's, oh, no, that's in the same, same Is that the same thought pattern? I think it is I think that's in the same pattern um, And also, quickly I said it about marriage You also don't have to have children to be an elder It's not saying that It's saying if they do have children And there is a household to manage He's managing it well His house should look like him And it will And that should mean Order, submissiveness, authority Love, nurture, care That's the main point here Okay? Verse 13, I'm sorry, verse 6, which is the 13th thing. I've got a number up here and it's messing with my head. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. That's pretty strong, right? The condemnation of the devil. It's saying you don't want a new convert who's showing gifting. Leading the church. And that's what we do. That's so often what we do. Oh, wow, this guy got saved. And, man, he gave his testimony. And it was beautiful and eloquent. And they invited him to preach. And, man, I think he's our pastor. I think he's going to be our pastor. No. No. He's not going to be here. Up the road? Maybe. But not right now. He must not be a recent convert. Why? Because I can't remember who said it now. It might have been Beg as well. My pi- Piper. You don't give a private general's work to do. Not much muddies the water, messes with people's heads more than power and or authority. And if a recent convert gets put over the church, it's going to be hard to fight that temptation. What was the devil's ultimate temptation? I will make myself like the Most High. So, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit. And that's not good because when you're conceited, you fall into the condemnation of the devil. And you don't want that. Um, The reference of falling under the same judgment as the devil is literally translated from the Greek as the judgment of the devil. And that literal phrase is capable of two different interpretations. It can refer either to the judgment the devil receives... Or the judgment the devil causes. That's from uh, commentators Griffin and Lee. It could be either. I don't care which way you take it. It's not a good thing. That's what it boils down to. New converts can become conceited. And then they're going to fall into the condemnation of the devil. And we don't want that. So new believers, new converts, you will not be an overseer here. When you're a new convert. Up the road maybe, but not right now. Because we don't want that for you. And you don't want that either. Verse 7 Last one, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. We just keep talking about the devil here, don't we? Um, This this troubles me. It shouldn't, but it does. If those outside of the church can point out things that make this guy unsavory or blamable, you can bet the devil can and will as well. I say this... Not hesitantly. I say this wholeheartedly. Please pray for us. We are targets as leaders in the church. And I'm not puffing us up. I'm saying we're targets. You think the devil isn't looking for something to jump on in these three lives? He is. And he's looking for things to jump on in your life too. But if he can disgrace the leaders of the church, he can disgrace the whole church. And that includes the individual people. And how many times have we seen it, right? Leaders, prominent leaders who give the church a black eye in, 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 the, in the eyes of the world. That devil is laying snares everywhere. They're traps, right? And we can fall into it. So we've even got to be thought of well by outsiders. So it even matters what the unsaved, unchurched people think of these people who would be overseers. Now, it doesn't mean that they all, everybody likes him. Oh, he's a good guy, but generally thought well of. That's the point. Even those outside the church. Now, before we move on, imagine somebody who's the opposite of all of this. Or even not a lot of most of this. He wouldn't be fit to oversee the church of Jesus Christ. And i note again, these qualifications are not as strict, 100%, all or nothing, all the time. You can't slip up at all. Even the best of men are still sinners. They will fall short. They will sin. The biggest question then is, when these men sin, are they correctable? Are they repentant? Are they consistently forsaking their sins and humbly seeking the will of God in the midst of and following their sins to the point that they can be described like these seven verses show us today? That's the big question. And as if that wasn't enough for elders, overseers... We turn our focus now in verses 8 to 13 to deacons. Now watch this. Very similar. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives hmm, likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ. Jesus. Again, if you just put those two lists side by side, man, they are very similar. And the word for deacon is diakonos, and it literally means servant. One who serves in an official capacity in the church as a deacon. The office of deacon may parallel the role of the assistant of the synagogue when you look back at the way the Jews practice church. Uh, Once they came back from the exile. There are two primary titles of church leadership. I'm reading from a definition here. There are two primary titles of church leadership offices in the New Testament. That of the overseer and the elder, which is one office, and that of the deacon. Deacons do not hold teaching or ruling authority in the church, but exercise responsibility for the physical needs of the congregation. The complementary service of overseers and deacons... Is analogous to that of the apostles and the seven that are mentioned in Acts six one through six. And I want to read that quickly. This is as the church was growing, and it shows us the beginnings of that office of deacon. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected by the daily distribution in the daily. Distribution. Quickly, Hellenists are Greeks, Jews, uh, Greeks, Romans. Gentiles basically, and then the Hebrews are the Jews. Okay, so that's what. But so it's saying here, um, the Hellenists, the non-Jewish widows, were being neglected in the daily distribution, and the twelve, the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, "It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables." Now that sounds condescending, and it's not. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves as apostles, as the elders of that place, to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Pumba, no, and Parmenias, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Now, some people would say these were the first deacons. You can say that. It doesn't say that in the, in the passage. But I think it does show the model for what deacons would become. Okay? The elders, overseers were saying, Look, we don't have time to deal with the practical things of serving food. We're not better than that. We just don't have the time because our role is oversight and teaching and prayer which is what the elders were supposed to do. So we need some folks who can serve the tables, who can help the practical needs of the people. So deacons happened, right? There is no status difference with elders and deacons, just like there's no status difference between elders and non-elders, or deacons and non-deacons. This is not about status. This is about function. This is about role, like we talked about with women. It's not that men are better than women. It's that there's different roles. It's not that elders are better than deacons. They just serve different roles. Now, note this too. I mentioned earlier the pastor against the deacon board. This is also not an equal opposite body to the elders, like a congress and a senate. Okay? And, and you go to some churches and that's what it's treated like. There's a power struggle between the elders and the deacons. No, that's not what this is talking about. We are equal and we serve different roles. Alistair Begg again says, the deacons are the extension of the heart, hands, and minds of the elders in response to practicalities. I love that. I think that's excellent. Because here's the deal. There are no menial tasks within the church. There are no menial tasks in the kingdom of God. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than be out there doing anything else. I just want to be here and I want to do what's going to serve God, glorify God, and bless other people. And what we see with deacons are they're the ones who kind of put the shoe leather to the sidewalk. The elders and the deacons look at the scripture, they see what it says, they see what needs done, and they kind of turn to the deacons and say, hey, can you guys handle this? And that's, we see that very well here. And these two men here do that as well as anybody I've ever seen. I'm not going to pump them up, but I'm awful proud of them. I'm awful thankful for them. So there's qualifications, and I'll go through these more quickly than I did the elders because, they're, again, they're almost the same thing. Dignified, to be venerated for character, to be honorable. That's what dignified means. Not double-tongued. That means they're not going to say one thing to you and something else to somebody else. They're going to say the same thing consistently. Not addicted to much wine. And again, to devote thought and effort to much wine. I'm so caught up in the next thing and I just want to get the next drink That can't be for deacons as well. Not greedy for dishonest gain, which means they don't lie, cheat, or steal, operating to get money however they can. Holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. What a lovely set of words that is. And we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. Um, It means that their minds and hearts do not condemn them as they pursue living out the faith that has been vital in changing their lives. They don't have it all figured out. But they're clinging to this faith as their lifeline and adhering to it as their hope. Their actions are not perfect, but they know that their forgiveness makes them clean and their forgiveness is purifying them as purchased by the blood of Christ. Verse 10, let them be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. This is not about finding volunteers to do some stuff. A deacon is entrusted with overseeing and doing the things that need to be done so it's not just hey can we find a couple guys who can do these things that's not the that's not the office of deacon the office of deacon is can they handle it that's what being tested here first means because if people are consistently if the widows aren't consistently getting their food that's a deacon issue okay and they need to be tested to see if they can handle the responsibility and if they can't handle it they don't need to be deacons And there is a testing process that we don't have laid out to say, okay, let's give them a shot and see how they handle it. And if they can't handle it, this is just it in your office, brother. This isn't what you're called to. Okay, let them be tested. That's all right. That's all right. Now, verse 11. Hmm, verse 11. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. So there's kind of a subset here about their wives. And there's qualifications for the wives of the elders. And the question is, is it talking about the elders' wives? Is it talking about a female body of deaconesses? And there's debate about that. But the immediate context is about their wives. Okay, And any time the word that is used here for wives... You let the context establish what it means. It could mean woman. It could mean, could be translated as deaconess if they wanted to, or it can mean wife. In the immediate context here, it's wife. Okay, we're going to see that. Their wives likewise must be dignified. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife. So you see the connection. So when you see this word G-Y-N-E in the text... Put it in the context, and the context is wives. So this is the wives of the deacons. Ladies, congratulations. I'm coming for you now. Okay, you ready? The deacons' wives must meet certain criteria. They must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded and faithful in all things. Now, let me ask you this question. Why didn't they mention elders' wives? Why weren't there qualifications for elders' wives? And I think it's just as simple as, my wife is not an elder. Mary, Barbara, not elders. It's not the role that they occupy because those are roles for men. Okay? They support us. Our wives support us as elders, but they don't serve in that office. It seems to be saying here that the wives of the deacons will be serving with the deacons. Okay? Does that mean it's automatic that if there is a deacon that his wife is a deaconess? I don't think we can say that. But if a deacon's wife is not assisting and helping him carry out this office, he's not going to do it well. So we've got to look at their wives as well. Look, look at me. Okay. And what does it say they should be or not be? They must be dignified. That means grave, honest, august. "'Venerated for character, people should praise the character of these ladies. "'They're not the center of controversy. "'Others speak well of them and hold them in high regard. "'Not busybodies or know-it-alls or pushy, bossy, overbearing sirens. "'They're dignified. "'They hold themselves in a way that people say, "'That's a dignified woman. "'They're not slanderers, prone to accusing others falsely "'or denigrating others with words or actions.' The word is the same word for slanderer that Peter uses for Satan. It's diabolos. Satan beats and keeps people down instead of lifting them up with his accusations and verbal barrages. These ladies are not to be like or do that. But they're to be sober-minded, which means temperate or clear-headed, and faithful in all things, trustworthy and trusting. People trust them and entrust them with the tasks and their very selves. People should trust these ladies and not be leery of them. You say, well, doggone. You know, deacons got a little bit more harsher. I mean, you're bringing their wives in. I mean, is that fair? And it is. Absolutely, it is. And let the deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well, the same as the elders and the overseers, and their wives are going to contribute to that as well, as will the elders' wives. Can an elder's wife disqualify him from being an elder? It's very possible. And again, we didn't mention wives there with elders because it's not the role. But here these deacons and their wives are serving the church together. And I think we see that here as well, by the way. I think we see that very well. Our deacons' wives are very servant-hearted. And I thank you ladies for that and praise God for you. And so here with the deacon again, how does his own house look? Does that mean that it's got to be perfect? Again, no, that's not the point here. Will some things happen that look like they're getting off task? It's very possible. Will their children obey in everything all the time? No, they won't. Will their children grow up and maybe go a different way? It's very possible. Does that disqualify them from being deacons? No, it does not. Adult children, that's a whole different realm, right? I mean, we can't make those decisions based on that because... Rumspringa, right? Rumspringa. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. How does, this, how does this deacon and his wife's house look? Does it hold up to the scrutiny of God's word? And again, if they don't manage their own household's well, goodness gracious, how are they going to manage the house of God? If they don't pay their bills, they won't pay the church's bills either. And then finally, verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I don't want, that's not a tagline. There is a definite, wonderful reward to fulfilling this role as a deacon. They gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that's in Christ Jesus. Commentators Kent Hughes and Brian Chappelle say it this way. The deacons who have served well will get a twofold reward before men and before God. As to the first, those who have served well gain an excellent standing before the people they serve. They will have the respect of and influence with the congregation. Though the office of deacon is not primarily a teaching position, it has its own eloquence, they say. They quote a man named Bishop Quayle, asks a rhetorical question, Preaching is the art of making a sermon and delivering it? Question mark. Why, no. Preaching is the art of making a preacher and delivering that. Similarly, they say, the deacon's life speaks because of his elder-like respectability, his informed belief as he holds to the mystery of the faith, his living belief that issues in a clear conscience, his tested life oozes with character. His helpmate is his best qualification and he is graciously domesticated in relation to his wife and children. All of this provides him an excellent standing with his people. His authority goes far beyond words. And as to the second aspect they finish of the deacon's reward, they have great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. They have confidence, even boldness in their own faith in Christ. There is an ever-deepening confidence in drawing close to God in Christ for the deacon. End of quote. Whew. Now, we really took the 20,000 foot view here. Okay. A lot to chew on here. And I just want to know why it doesn't talk about the devil setting traps for the deacons. That's all I really want to know because it doesn't say that. That's just for elders. That's, that's real. Thank you very much. So the question is, so most of you people are sitting here this morning. You're like, I'm not a deacon. I don't want to be an elder. I'm a woman. I can't be a Elder, and I don't think I want to be a deacon either. So what the world does this mean for me? What's the point? Well, we have three application points based around the letter R. R is the letter of the day. It's a pirate's application for me, R. Rose, reverence, and relate. How can you apply what we just covered? Now, of course, for the elders and the deacons and the deacons' wives, there's plenty application, right? We should search ourselves and say, how, how are we doing here? But first application point is roles. And there are roles for the elder and the deacon. And we see it and we'll cover it more later. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. We talked about that earlier. So elders are to rule. They're to preach, teach. That's part of their role. And Paul gives us a great picture of an elder's role when he speaks to the elders of Ephesus before he leaves them. In Acts 20, pay careful attention, he says to them, to yourselves and to all the flock. There's a role of an elder in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. There's a role which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, elders, overseers, be alert. Remembering that for three years, Paul says, I didn't cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up, there's a role of an elder, and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, Paul saying, be like me. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. There's a role for an elder, and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You want to know what an elder and an overseer looks like? There's a perfect picture. That's the role of the elder and the overseer. And then the role of the deacons is to help carry that out, again, where the rubber meets the road. We see these things happen, and we need your help to administer these things as we teach, admonish, correct, discipline, pray, study, and preach. Okay? So again, there are roles, just like a marriage, right? Listen to me, please, 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 please. I hope you heard other things, but I really hope you hear this. Everybody in the church of Christ is equal. But there are roles of authority... Like in a marriage that are given to husbands, in this case, those roles of authority are for the elders. That doesn't mean the elders are above you or better than you or God loves them more or they're better Christians. That's not what this is about. We're all cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. We're all saved 100% by the blood of Jesus, not by our roles. So there is authority and submission and that does not put anybody under anybody in their salvation standing. But there is a role of authority, there is a role of submission. It's not a pecking orders. A pecking order. It's not there's Jesus and then there's elders and then there's the church. It's there's Jesus, the great shepherd, and the church which is his flock and he has under shepherds among that flock who help administer the authority that flows from the scripture and then the deacons help carry that out as they understand what the needs of the church are it's not a pecking order jesus says matthew 20 you know that the rulers of the gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them it shall not be so among you But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your... By the way, the word servant is diakonos, which is where we get deacon. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the mindset here. 2 Corinthians 4, 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants. For Jesus' sake. If that's the mindset and the role of the elder and the deacon, we're doing it wrong. And if you don't see us carrying those things out, hold us accountable to these roles and these standards. You are as accountable to know them as we are. And hold us accountable to them, lovingly, sometimes forcefully if you have to. So that's the application as far as roles. Reverence. Now here's where I get to say, now watch this. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, please. For that would be of no advantage to you. Understand that in the administration, in the working of God, He has placed us as elders in a position as your leaders. So submit to us. And I'm not saying that in a heavy-handed way. For we are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Listen, that's a huge responsibility. So submit to us and let us do this with joy and not with groaning, please. Why, for... For that would be of no advantage to you. If I can joyfully, lovingly serve you as an elder, that's going to be good for you. But notice that we are leaders. And I'm not saying hold us in high regard and elevate us and call us the most high potentate. That's not what I'm saying. But it's understand the role and submit to that role. Have some reverence for the authority that the Scripture gives And that the chief shepherd gives through these under shepherds and obey. If we say this is what the word says, it's not about refuting. I don't care. You can ask all the questions you want to. We can argue. We can wrestle with some things. That's great. That's perfect. That's good. And ultimately, it's our job to make sure that we're using the authority of the word of God to lead well and for you to submit to. Watch this. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. That's, that's a command. That's a part for you to play as far as helping us fulfill our roles as elders and as deacons. So have some reverence for the role. Again, Love us, reverence us to the point that you submit to the teaching that we're giving. We're not any better than you. We're not ranked any higher than you. We have a different role than you, and you need to reverence that role. And then finally, relate. This is my favorite part. Why are you like you are? Aren't these lists for elders and for deacons just describing good, sound Christian lives? It's not like you can read them and say, well, I don't have to do that. (laughs) I can be a drunkard if I want to. No, you can't. Watch this. I love this. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. You're like, why would you get mad? I didn't. That was for emphasis. Paul says this twice to the Corinthians. I urge you then be imitators of me. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, this is where I go, gulp. If I can look you folks in the eye, individually, collectively, and say, I want you to do what I'm doing. I want you to live like I'm living. I want you to imitate me because I'm imitating Christ. Then I'm a good leader. And you should be able to look at my life, at Bob's life, at Don's life, at Will and Steve and Arlene and Jeannie and say, I want to imitate what they're doing because what they're doing is imitating Christ. In their role, in their service, in their lives, I want to be like them. And that makes me go, oh, Lord, have mercy. Am I mimicable? Should be my goal. I should want you to be like me because I want so much to be like Jesus that I can say, Yeah, that's good. Do do what I'm doing. Am I perfect there? Nope. Don, Bob, perfect there? Absolutely not. They're worse than me. (laughs) (laughs) So that if somebody looks at you, or if I look at you and I say, Why are you like you are? hopefully you can point to me and say, because that's how you are. That's how our leaders are, and I want to be like that. That's the goal. And that's the role. I hope you can relate to that. And I hope you can relate to us in that way. Let's pray. God, we barely, barely scratched the surface of all of this, but you have a way of giving us what we need and your word fills in the gaps and life fills in the gaps and your holy spirit teaches and instructs us and we're thankful for the way that you have designed the church. We're thankful for the people that you have placed within the body by your own doing. And we're thankful for leaders who want to be like Jesus. Help us to all look to the chief shepherd And help us to see him in these under-shepherds, in these servants. And help us to imitate their faith as they imitate the life of Jesus. God, thank you for the church structure that we have that is biblical. And it's not, look at us, we're cool. It's, look at your perfect plan, God. We rejoice in your perfect plan. And we praise you for your ability to do in and through us what we can't do ourselves. Have your way, God. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? My phone's not cooperating. I went a little over again today. And, oh well. Fire me. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. Be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said, amen. You're dismissed, but stay neat with us if you can.